so I welcome back um, Welcome back on the heat of the summer schedule So what we did last year and I think the year before I can't remember how long we've been outside now um, Is that at this time of the year we change from 5pm to 6pm Because it gets really hot We want to be closer to sunset And we move to this side so that we can have the shade So um, Inshallah it will work out okay to me, it feels really nice, mashallah. So this is the sixth uh, session of this text. Again, we're reading the text of uh, Abi, uh, Abu Abdullah al-Harith al-Muhasibi, rahimahullahu ta'ala wa nafanallahu ya'lumi fi darin, ameen, called Risalat al-Mustarshideen, which is a treatise for the seekers of guidance. Risala being treaties and mustarshideen meaning those who turn off the mic, those who are seeking guidance. Okay. Uh, the title actually tells us a lot of what we're supposed to be doing, right? So the title is saying what 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 is the posture that I'm supposed to be bringing to this text that I'm trying to? Why am I doing this? Why am I reading this? Why am I attending this? Why am I thinking about this topic, what is it that I'm trying to get out of what the author is sharing, is I'm trying to seek guidance. And uh, this posture, so to speak, is extremely, extremely important. And although it may seem surprising at first glance, actually lost on many Muslims. Many Muslims live their life not actually seeking guidance. If you think about it, like they live their life trying to be Muslims, right? Like I want to maybe understand some basics about what Islam is and I want to try to figure out what Islam is and I want to follow it in my life. Uh, but that's not necessarily saying that a person is seeking guidance, right? So a person's posture should be, I'm living my life in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and at every moment that I'm living this life, I'm seeking guidance. I'm turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly and saying to Allah, Allah, guide me, open my heart. Of course, we say this in Surah Al-Fatiha, but there's, this, there's different ways to say things. Right? We can say it, but not really um, be present with the meaning of it. Or we can say it and be present with the meaning of it. So we say, you know, when we really say, oh Allah, guide us to a straight path, and this is important that we kind of feel it. So uh, one of the things that the author is reminding us is that uh, you know, the person who's seeking guidance, they will find it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is kareem. Uh, our, our job is not, uh, our job is to position ourselves in the right way. Say this in front of Allah and to seek guidance and to be wise and to be judicious and to make, make smart choices and live our lives as best as we can in this kind of uh, attempt to attain this guidance. Right? So we're not. Uh, and then as long as we do that, inshallah it will be okay. And sometimes we're going to make mistakes. 
Maybe we do something for two, three years, and then we think to ourselves, well, you know what? Actually, I don't think that was the right way to do it. And sometimes it's like sometimes these are big things. Sometimes they're not that big of things. You know, maybe it's a smaller thing, but it's like I had this understanding, and I don't really think that understanding is fully the full picture anymore. But I'm growing in this, and I'm going through my relationship with Allah. And as long as the focus is on Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, everything is fine. Because then I make mistakes and I do things that are wrong, and but then I just say, you know what? But this is just me and Allah, and I renew my covenant with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and I try to continue moving forward. So uh, we left off on the portion of the book where he says the following: uh, This uh, section and the comments of Sheikh Abdul Fatah Abu Ghadda, rahimahullah ta'ala, uh, is one of my favorite parts actually. In, in the whole book. So let's see what he says today. وكن قائلا بالحق عاملا به يزدك الله نورا وبصيرا ولا تكون ممن يأمر به وينأى عنه فتبوء بإثمه وتتعرض لمقت الله قال الله عز وجل كبر مقت عند الله أن تقول ما لا تفعلون فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من وعظ ولم يتعظ وزجر ولم ينزجر ونها ولم ينتهي this is not actually the part that uh, I really like. It's the one after this. This one is just really scary. He says, Be from those who, when they speak, they speak the truth. And when they act, they act in accordance with it. And if you do this, then Allah will increase you in nur, in illumination, and basira, this insight, as we've talked about before. And don't be from those who command towards something and then they don't do it. And as a result of that, the sin of that thing comes back to them, comes upon them. And they expose themselves to the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah said in the Qur'an, it's like a very grievous, grievous thing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you say things that you do not do. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi said, Whoever gives a warning or a reminder to the people and they don't take it for themselves and they kind of like firmly uh, address the people and they don't do that for themselves and they, they um, forbid from certain things and they don't do that themselves, then that person with Allah is basically destroyed. Uh, this hadith that was just mentioned by Imam al-Muhasibi, Shaykh Abdul Fatah Abu Ghudda says about it the following. He says, لم أقف عليه فيما رجعت إليه من كتب الحديث الصحيح والضعيف والموضوع والله أعلم به. Actually, Sheikh Abdul Fatah's comment is a lesson in adab itself. So Al-Muhasibi, he mentions this narration and he attributes it to the Prophet It's a very scary narration, right? The meaning is there in other hadith, but this particular narration, Abdul Fatah, he says, I didn't find this hadith in any of the books that I checked from the books of reliable narrations and the books of weak narrations and the books of fabricated narrations. 
And then he says, and Allah knows best what the situation with this, with this is. <laughs> Look how he does it, right? And Shaykh Abdul Fattah is a scholar. He was a scholar of hadith, rahimahullah. But he doesn't outright say, this hadith is weak, this hadith is fabricated, this hadith is this, this hadith is that. So he just says, look, I looked for the hadith, I didn't find it anywhere. Allahu alam what the situation, what this is. But he has kind of like a little bit of adab with Imam al-Muhasibi. Um, also, he can't do like a detailed analysis of it because he didn't find anything. And many other hadith in the book where he finds it, he can actually analyze it and say this is the chain of narration, this is this, this is that, this is reliable, this is that. He can't say anything about it because he didn't find it. Right. And this is um, very, we've spent some time on this issue of being able to say, I don't know. Right. I think we spent a lot of time on it in this text, but uh, it's very important. You know? He's saying, look, I didn't find it. Allahu alam. So, you know, you find when you read the old books that many scholars actually in their works, they used hadith that were not always the most sound. And that's because it depends on what you're doing. Basically, if it wasn't, maybe it was not the most reliable hadith in terms of strength of narration, but they felt that the meaning is reliable and sound, then they might bring it to based on the context or something else, and you're supposed to understand the limit of it. You're supposed to be able to say, like, okay, this is... I read it, and I say, okay, this hadith, I don't know where this came from. So I'll take the meaning. The meaning is clear. Meaning is, like, if someone is warning other people of things, but they don't care to do it themselves, it's a big problem, right? So, um, they always say that the issue here is not necessarily that the person doesn't do the thing that they're reminding other people to do or the opposite. The issue is if, say for example, they're reminding someone to do something and they themselves have no intention or no effort to do it actually. That's the problem. Or they're telling people you shouldn't do this thing, but they themselves are making no effort to not do that thing. You know? So like maybe someone is telling someone else, Echi, like you really shouldn't miss Fajr prayer. And then they're sleeping in like half of the mornings missing Fajr prayer. But they're not doing that intentionally. They want to pray Fajr on time. They just haven't been getting up. They know that this is something that's true, that you should pray Fajr on time. And they're trying themselves. And they feel it's appropriate to maybe remind someone else of the importance of this thing. That's not in the same category. The category of someone just doesn't care to wake up at all. And then they're telling someone else all the time, wake up, pray, you should do this, you should do this. And they themselves are doing all kinds of other things. Uh, one of the things to note about this, though, is that, you know, this is one of the perils of teaching. And this is one of the reasons, and we've said this before, this is one of the reasons why uh, oftentimes we like to teach from books. Right? So Imam al-Muhasib is going to say a bunch of things in here. I could prepare these things and just give a lecture telling people to do these things. But if I did that, then I put all of the weight of all of those things on my own shoulders. <laughs> and of course we intend to do them, you know, that's, but, but it's different now because I'm taking all of this on, I'm telling you, you should do this and you should do this and you should do this and we should do this and so on and so forth. Whereas here we're sitting, we should read the book, Imam al-Muhasib is telling us to do this thing, right? The other thing that happens when we read from a book that's good, books is good, is that sometimes when we just prepare lectures and give them, you're kind of at the whims of your own emotions, and your own ideas, and the community's ideas, and so on and so forth, which can be good sometimes. Like sometimes there's something you need to address, so it, it, you address it. Usually it will come up in the tangents. But this way, like sometimes, maybe there's something we never thought of that we wouldn't address. 
And maybe there's something that's kind of uncomfortable to address, and people would be shy to talk about it, but it comes up in the text, so we deal with it, right? So the text helps us actually to do a lot of these things. And of course, this hadith is very scary. May Allah protect us. Uh, one of the things that you would see actually with many scholars throughout history also is that they don't give like a lot of these uh, motivational lectures. Because the motivational lectures are falling into this category, right? They don't give wa'ad a lot. Like, you know, they, uh, they'll teach. And they'll narrate the hadith. And they'll talk about the topics. But to like tell people, you should do this. You should. Usually, like, people are kind of shy to do that, right? Um, and many of the great scholars and Rabbaniyin and stuff like this, they just, you, they just won't really talk that much anyways. Like, I'm not going to be telling people stuff. Uh, one sheikh, relatively recently, I remember being with him and I asked him, I'm like, you know, sheikh, can you give us some advice, something we should do, something we should pay attention to, or so on and so forth. He just paused and he said, uh, I, I don't really think I'm one to tell you that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I guess that's it, you know. <laughs> you know another sheikh would tell him, he's been here a couple of times. I'm like, Shaykh, can you give advice? He's like, I'm not someone who can give advice in the first place. Yeah. How, what advice am I going to give you? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's like a level of humility in this, right? I mean, these people, I, I believe that they're actually people that can give you very good advice. But um, they, they're not going to... put themselves out there like that. By the way, it's a side tangent. Like I said, sometimes things will come up in the side tangents. Please, 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 please. When we have someone who converts to Islam, don't give them advice on everything. If you want to support them, just be with them. Support them. Show them good character. Treat them nicely. Take, go have coffee with them. Eat dinner with them. Stuff like this, you know. Ask them how they're doing, if they have issues with their family. Do these kind of things. It's very nice. But this whole, like, every Muslim feels that they have uh, the right and the prerogative to tell every convert everything that comes to their mind at every moment, this is complete insanity and falsehood. Yeah. One brother was telling me recently, he said someone converted. One of the first conversations, he went to the masjid, one of the first, the first conversations the brother told him, uh, be ready to be tested like Sayyidina Ayyub was tested. Say, so what is this like? <laughs> Like this poor guy, you know, like he just became Muslim, so he told us he's going to be tested, though. He probably didn't even know who Ayub is. <laughs> the guy who's telling him probably doesn't know who Ayub is in English, you know, <laughs> to even solve the problem. But like, he was like, you tell someone that the first thing? Like, congratulations, you're converted to Islam. Beware of the fire of hell, it's very, very severe. I'm like, it's not the first thing you need to say. And then the other thing people do, they give them advice on everything. Oh, up to today, people come up to me. They're like, how are you doing? You know, How's your family? I say, Alhamdulillah, my family's great. So do they convert to Islam yet? I'm like, uh, no, you know, please pray for them. And then they're like, Ijtahid, you know, make effort. Did you invite them to Islam? I'm like, yeah, so I've been in the, like, it's 20 years. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've been Muslim 20 years this year. And you're talking to me about whether or not I've talked to my parents about Islam. Like, if, if it's appropriate, I'll talk to them. If it's not appropriate, I won't talk to them. Like, there's, yeah, and it's not your business. Like, yeah. I understand, you know. And this, people will say, well, they just mean well. Don't give them a hard time. Everyone means well, and it doesn't mean that they did right. 
<laughs> you know, most people mean well. It doesn't mean that they did right. You know, so there are ways to act and ways to be, and it doesn't mean that you can never say that. And I understand. Like it's not like I got mad at the brother. He's an uncle. You know, he's like my friend's father. You know what I mean? Like you could say whatever you want to me. You're my friend's father. Like you know, you have that position. You say whatever you want. It's fine. But uh, be easy with people. It's very confusing. You know, I don't think Muslims, uh, people who are born in Islam, you don't understand. Like, <clears throat> you cannot imagine how difficult it is just to learn people's names. Forget like this person told you this and this person told you that and their different opinions and now I don't know how to make sense of it and can't figure out how to pray properly. Like, do I pray this way or do I pray that way? So it's very, forget all that stuff. You can't even remember people's names. You're like, I never heard this name before. What's Muartez? <laughs> never heard Martez before, you know, what's, uh, whatever name, I don't know, that's the first name that came to my head. All of the names that are in the room, like, you've never heard them before, you know, other than Jamal and Malik, maybe, like, these are the two names you've heard, but uh, be, be easy, walk with people, like, we, it has to be more of a uh, walking together, like, we're on this journey together, we walk on this journey together. So the first part anyways, he says, be from those who speak the truth and they act upon the truth. This is the main point to take away. If you're going to give advice, make sure you're at least trying to do it. If you're going to speak, speak the truth. And if you're going to act, try to act in accordance with that truth. If you do that, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you nur and will give you basira. So interestingly, I was having a conversation with a brother recently <coughs> about like political activism and you know, all of these kind of things. I said, look, like, we have to be able to analyze these things and we have to understand the world. We have to understand the way the world works. Some people will be better at that than other people. They have more skill in that. They know strategy, they know politics, they know history, all of these kind of things. It's very good. We need that. But we have to also remember that we don't look at the world as only the material world. Like, you want to have political strategy, you want to be able to come up with a good solution to a difficult political, social political situation. Make sure you speak the truth and you act upon it so that Allah gives you nur and basira. If Allah gives you nur and basira, then be able to look at the thing differently. And have some sort of insight maybe that you didn't have before. Um, <coughs> you should always be seeking this. And what does the Prophet wasallam say about reading Surah Al-Kaf on Fridays? The person who reads Surah Al-Kaf on Fridays, then Allah will give them nur in front of them for the entire week. This is it. You're not going to see it probably. Maybe you are, mashallah. My advice to you would be that if you do, don't tell anyone. It's a gift from Allah. <laughs> you don't want to lose it. But maybe you'll see it. Maybe you'll see. Maybe you'll see someone else. They have that nur. I don't know. You know, unless it starts like really messing with you. You talk to someone who knows about these things. But uh, don't just like post it on social media or something. But you might, you know. Uh, but we believe. Sadaqa Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said That there will be nur What does that mean? It means there's nur Khalas <laughs> The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said it I don't, I don't need like a science experiment I don't need any of these things If the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said it He said it sallallahu alayhi wa sallam There's nur So the decisions that the person makes in the week Are going to be different than the decisions they make without it Just the way it is Dhikr uh, is the same Worship is the same uh, obedience is the same, disobedience is the opposite. All of these things affect our uh, spiritual vision. In any case, uh, I think that's sufficient. وَلَا تُخَالِتْ إِلَّا عَاقِلًا تَقِيًّا وَلَا تُجَالِسْ إِلَّا عَالِمًا بَصِيرًا 
وقد سئل النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وصحبه وسلم أي جلسائنا خير فقال من ذكركم بالله رؤيته uh, it continues but this will probably be where we leave off today but it continues and says وزاد في علمكم منطقه وذكركم بالآخرة عملوا so he said so it says that uh, he said, Imam al-Muhasibi says do not um, intermingle I'll, I'll uh, comment on this a little bit do not intermingle except with people of sound intellect and taqwa and do not sit with anyone who's not a scholar who has sound vision you know deep penetrating insight and vision and the prophet sallallahu was asked which of those who we sit with are best and he said those who when you see them you are reminded of allah and uh, when they speak your knowledge is increased and they remind and their and their actions remind you of the hereafter so what is the three descriptions the prophet was given that when you see them you're reminded of allah when they speak you're increased in your knowledge and when they act you are reminded of the hereafter. These are the people. These are the best people to sit with. This is a Sheikh Abdul Futah does a long commentary on the authenticity or the reliability of this hadith. He says that it's hasan, which means it's it's acceptable narration uh, from the Prophet So let's go back. He says, don't intermingle with anyone except that they are a scholar who has taqwa, and don't sit with anyone who is a scholar with penetrating insight. Um, on a practical level, the way I like to think about this is that inevitably there are people that we're going to sit with and there are people that we're going to interact with who do not meet these qualities, right? I mean, that's, that's life. <laughs> you know, you're going you're gonna to go to your job, you're going to deal with your family, you're going to do all kinds of things. All of those are going to require being around people that do not meet these descriptions. But that is not something that you're really seeking and intending okay? that's something that's happening by way of consequence I have to work, I have to do this by way of consequence, by what I do I come across these kind of things that's, that's what I deal with You know, it's fine, it's life but there will come, there, outside of that there come other times in our lives where we do have some sort of choice like we can decide who is it that I really want to be around who is it that I really want to sit with who do I want to keep the intentional company of those people, then the best of those people who we're going to be around are going to be the ones who meet these qualities that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned. The primary of which that we'll spend time on here today is those who مَنْ ذَكَّرَكُمْ بِاللَّهِ مَنْ ذَكَّرَكُمْ بِاللَّهِ Those who, when you see them, you are reminded of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, the Prophet ﷺ is saying this. And the followers of the Prophet ﷺ are lending some sort of importance to this. What I want us to recognize before we go into all these stories is that some of these ideas, so this is an idea around, right? So this, this idea that the best of people that I could sit with are those are the, the ones who when I see them, I'm reminded of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
If someone's serious about deen, which we assume the Sahaba are, right? We assume the companions of the Prophet them they're serious, that their followers are serious, that the, in every generation there's people who take this thing seriously. That means that you're going to find amongst the culture of the Muslims this idea of the importance of sitting with righteous people, right? And the ability of the people to recognize that people like that exist and we're going to look for them. This is part of the culture of the Muslims. And what that means is that if you start to do tatabbu um, al-athar, you know, you start to really look like, okay, where are the narrations about this in the tradition? You'll find that generation upon generation upon generation, there's stories about this and there's people that did this, right? And they were known for this. And that was like a sunnah of the Muslims. Because they, they knew, like, you know, I need people like this. And what's the, what's the statement of uh, Hanzala, right? The famous hadith where Hanzala comes, uh, he's, he's, he's running and he says, Nafiqa Hanzala, Nafiqa Hanzala, you know, Hanzala is a munafiq, he's a hypocrite. And Sayyidina Abu Bakr runs into him and he says, what's going on? Like, why are you screaming, like yelling and saying this? And he says, I'm a hypocrite because I'm with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and I'm like feeling so good. And then I go home to my family and I play with my kids and like, you know, like I, I, I'm, gen, I'm nice with my kids and stuff like this and my family. And then I don't feel the same. Like I, I don't have that same elevated spiritual state, so to speak, right? And Sayyidina Abu Bakr, again, like this, look at the quality of the people. Of course, Sayyidina Abu Bakr, Sayyidina Abu Bakr, radiallahu he wasn't like, he didn't give the answer. He wasn't like, Lanta Gabi. <laughs> like you're an idiot. He didn't say anything like this to him. He was like, SubhanAllah, that happens to me too. Let's go ask Rasulullah. And they go to the Prophet and he tells him the situation. And he tells him, Alhamdulillah, like if you were the same when you leave me as you are when you're with me, then the angels would descend from the heavens and they would ha shake your hands in the street. So, what is he telling him basically? He's telling him, like, there is a. There's a other. That's why there's a, the special thing about the pro, the special thing about the companions. Like every generation, they benefit from the suhbah of the generation before them. They benefit from the companionship of the generation before them. But a tabi'i doesn't really become a tabi'i unless they have some sort of like long suhbah with a sahabi, like a proper tabi'i. Definition-wise, you might say that they are. But like, who do you consider really the generation of the followers or the ones who spent time with the sahaba? And they need that time in the suhbah in order to get that level. But the companions, they didn't need any time. Because the Prophet ﷺ is a different level. So they say, you become a companion bin nadra. Bi nadra, I should say actually. Not even bin nadra, bi nadra. Nadra wahida. <laughs> the Prophet ﷺ sees you, you're a companion. And you die believing in him. Of course, this is not like a hadith definition, but you get the point. But that one glance is enough from the Prophet So he tells Hanzala, like, this is not the way it's supposed to be, you know? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You go, you live your life, you have ups and your downs. But what is it, again, if you look at it and you think, okay, so what is this telling me? This is telling me, this is why I always tell people, especially people when they're graduating college and stuff, but it's a general advice I always tell everyone. You have to have something that you do every single week, and it should be in person, if possible where you're in a gathering where Allah is remembered and righteous people are there and you feel like this gathering, you feel these things. It's like you have to figure it out, how you're going to do it. It's hard to find it, fine. But make intention and try to do it. Because this is absolutely essential. Otherwise we lose it.
the, the, the gas tank just keeps depleting. The gas tank keeps depleting and it keeps depleting. Then you come in the company of these people that are mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet and it fills your tank. And so again, we'll see as we look through this, Shaykh Abdul Fatah, he says, and this is the, he comments on it a little bit, and he says, so here's 11, 10 or 11 examples of people who were like this throughout Muslim history, and he starts to give you all these people's stories, okay? So this is all we're doing today. That's why it says my favorite part. So look at all of these things. وكان الحسن البصري رضي الله تعالى عنه يقول الدنيا كلها ظلمة إلا إلا مجالس إلا مجالس العلماء إلا مجالس العلماء وقال سهل بن عبد الله تستري من أراد النظر إلى مجالس الأنبياء فلينظر إلى مجالس العلماء. So these are again like the people that are being quoted. Like we should think to ourselves. 12, 1300 years have passed. Person is still being quoted. It's not like some person who has followers on social media, right? Like that can come and go. 1300 years later, the person's still being quoted. It tells us at some level, like this person is a hujjah. These people, they're, they're proofs in themselves that their understanding of the religion was so sound, of the deen was so sound, that for a thousand years they've been quoted, right? So Hassan al Basri used to say, the entirety of this world is darkness, except for the gatherings of the true scholars. The entirety of this world is darkness, except for the gatherings of the true scholars. The majalis, the ma you, know, you get the connection. Uh, just so nobody thinks that we're talking about ourselves in this. <laughs> you know, uh, one of the main things that we wanted when we started the Majlis was that we'd be able to invite people that we think fit, fit these descriptions and gather people around them. You know, so like one of the happiest moments for us when we had the old space was one time when we invited Imam Zaid Shakir, and he came and he sat on the brown chair, and the whole room was packed. It was like you couldn't find any space in the room. Everyone was like, "Muzahima bin Lukab." Like you hear in the old books that they were, and you see in like the old places of learning where like everyone's so closely seated together that their knees are touching, and like there's no space, you know. Um, and of course others as well. When Sheikh Walid was like that when he came. Point is that, um, I'm not talking about myself. <laughs> That's the point. Sahil ibn Abdullah he said, whoever wants to, uh, he said, look at this statement. He said, whoever wants to look at the gatherings of the prophets, let them look at the gatherings of the scholars. Whoever wants to look at the gatherings of the prophets, let them look at the gatherings of the scholars. Someone might look at this and they say, again, our first impulse, if we're reading something from someone, again, who's like established authority in the religion, our first impulse should not be to reject. Our first impulse should be, okay, what could they mean by this? If we feel some hesitation, so what, what could we mean by this? What could he not mean by this, right? So, why would he say something like this? he says say something like this because the ulama waratat al-anbiya. The Prophet said that the true scholars are the heirs of the Prophets. So if you want to see the gatherings of the Prophets, you look at the gatherings of the true scholars. Um, and, you know, we spent years talking about this now, but, you know, a person is a true scholar, they meet certain conditions. And they could be a true scholar and they met all of those conditions and then they make mistakes or they make 
different things that might take them out of that category. Nasrallah you know. as-salama. Abdul Fatah continues, he says something beautiful. He says, فكانوا خير أمة أخرجت للناس بعد سيد الناس عليه الصلاة والسلام. He says, and that's because when you see someone who's a true example, it has a more impactful effect in the self than hearing things about them. Okay, so like you could hear stories of the Prophet ﷺ, but if you're in the company of the Prophet ﷺ, it's going to be different. It's going to be more powerful. And when that happens, then the, also the benefit of that keeping their company um, is going to be longer lasting than just hearing about it or just um, you know, the person who experiences it, the benefit of that is going to be more longer lasting. And the companions of the Prophet them, they had the best um, fortune is not a good translation, but you understand like they they were given the best situation in that regard because they sat with the Prophet and they witnessed him and they were close to him so they were the best nation that was ever brought forth for the people after the Sayyid of the people who was the Prophet it's a beautiful expression but why were they so great? they were so great because they sat with the Prophet so they were you were the best nation to ever come forth he said, so the righteous, exemplary righteous person, they remind other people of Allah because of what is seen upon them, of light and illumination and intimacy with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and um, steadiness and love and tranquility and the way that they carry themselves and the way that they conduct themselves and the signs of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that are seen in their speech and in their silence in their movement and their stillness uh, and in everything that they do and because of that whenever someone looks at them any look that they look towards them will be a look that reminds them of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and seeing the image of the person will cause them to go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they are the ones who if they are seen Allah is remembered this is in a different hadith. The Prophet was asked, Prophet was asked, Who are the awliya? Who are like the righteous, beloved people to Allah? He said, Those who, when they are seen, Allah is remembered. Notice that all of these things are internal things. 
It's going to come up more. Why? Because that is that when certain things become firmly lodged in the heart of the person, then that shows up on them. But if it's just a matter, is it part of like a big problem with masculinity now, a lot of the conversations around masculinity and stuff, it's all external. It's like you do this and you do this and you do this and you stand this way and you look this way and then all of a sudden you're going to have charisma, you're going to control every conversation. You're not going to do any of that stuff. Maybe with like children, but not with men. If you find like an actual man, it's not going to work with them. <laughs> but because it's a matter of the inside. There has to be... It's not, uh, of course, the outside is going to reflect, but the primary issue is the inside. What does the person have on the inside? If they have all these things on the inside, then it will show on them. I believe that Sheikh Ahmed Taha Rayyan, Allah was one of these people. We've talked about him before, but... Uh, like he's someone, even if you don't understand Arabic, I suggest you look up Sheikh Ahmed Taha Rayyan and just watch his videos, even if you don't understand Arabic. Just look at him. He's passed away, Allah Yerham. But he was just so beautiful. And like, you can tell that whatever, it's not what's on the external that's clothing the internal. It's actually what's on the internal that's clothing, clothing the external. And you see it all over him. Like you see Allah, so you look at you're like, SubhanAllah, who was this man? And every time he would tell stories of the, of the righteous people, he'd always start laughing. And he would say, oh, look at them. Look at them and look at us. Look who they are and look who we are. We have, we're looking like, this is how people were, this is how we are. <laughs> he never saw that he, he was like one of these people, you know. Even he told the story of, he told the story of a woman. He's like, there's a woman, she used to, when he's teaching in Azhar, there's a woman who used to come sometimes, she was sick and different things. She was a righteous woman. He said, he's a woman. She used to see the Prophet them while she's awake. And uh, he's like, and she came to him one day. And she's like, I saw the Prophet them today. He was standing by the door where you teach from. And she took him and she said, it was right here. Where he was, sta he was standing, right here. And he's like, he just starts laughing. He keeps going. <laughs> As if like his, the story wasn't even about him, you know. <laughs> SubhanAllah. These people exist. Allah Allah They always have the best stories too. I've posted some of these recently, but I don't think everyone understands Arabic. So if you've seen them on my thing and you don't understand Arabic, you probably don't know what's being said. So maybe I'll tell you one of them as a tarweeh. So there's one about a story about a sheikh. His name is Sheikh Al-Fayyumi. Sheikh Al-Fayyumi. He was known as Sheikh Al-Fayyumi. This is like probably turn of the 20th century, early 1900s-ish, okay, in, in Azhar. And Sheikh Al-Fayyumi came to Azhar. He studied in Azhar. He's from Fayyum. Fayyum is south of Cairo. So uh, he finished in Azhar, and then he, he couldn't find any work in Cairo. So he said, Khalas, I'll go back home. You know, he prays to Khada, and then he packs his bags, and so I'm going to go back home. Yeah, fine, we're going to just go back home. So he packed his bags and he, he, when he went to sleep. In his dream he saw, he was in Masjid al-Azhar, and he saw the Prophet ﷺ sitting in a certain area of the Masjid, and he was sitting on like a green cloth. And he called, the Prophet called him over. He said, Ya Fayumi, come over here. 
And he came over to him. And the Prophet told him, we've assigned you as a teacher in Al-Azhar. And then he said, and take this money to help you in the meantime to be able to take care of your expenses and stuff. And then he woke up. And so he woke up, and of course the first thing that he did is he went to Azhar. And he went straight to the place where he saw the Prophet ﷺ in the dream. And he saw Shaykh Muhammad Alish, who was like Shaykh al-Malikiyah in his time, and, and Azhar, uh, sitting on a green cloth in the exact same place that he saw the Prophet ﷺ in the dream. And when he came in and Shaykh Alish saw him, he said, Ya Fayumi, qad mudarrisan fil Azhar. He said, we've assigned you as a teacher in Al-Azhar. And then he said, and take this money to help you until your first paycheck comes. I'll help you to get along until your first paycheck comes. <laughs> Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Sheikh Abdul Fatah, he continues and he says, Then Al-Hakim Al-Tirmidhi, rahimahullah, commented on this statement of the Prophet وسلم, and he said the following. It's very beautiful. And uh, just as a note, Al-Hakim Al-Tirmidhi is not an Imam al-Tirmidhi, uh, the famous al-Tirmidhi who, who compiled the book of Hadith, he's the, the author of the Sunan al-Tirmidhi, is different than al-Hakim al-Tirmidhi. So al-Hakim al-Tirmidhi, he said the following uh, about this statement of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَهُمُ الَّذِينَ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ سِمَاتٌ ظَاهِرًا قَدْ عَلَاهُمْ بَهَاءٌ قُرْبَةٌ وَنُورٌ جَلَابٌ وَهَيْبَةٌ كِبْرِيَاءٌ وَأُنْسٌ وَقَارٌ فَإِذَا نَظَرَ النَّاظِرُ إِلَيْهِ أَيْ إِلَى الْوَاحِدِ مِنْهُمْ ذَكَرَ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى بِمَا يَرَى عَلَيْهِ مِنْ آثَارُ الْمَلَكُوتِ Hakeem al-Tirmidhi always gives you some nice stuff, some fun stuff. Stuff that makes life more interesting. Yeah? <laughs> like all the like uh, excessive city planning and perfect corners and well-planted trees that don't belong in a place, but you plant them anyways. They don't make life interesting. Kimitirmidhi will make your life interesting for you. So he says, who are these people? They are the ones who the, the Allah has put upon them clear signs. So he gives them the light of closeness. And he gives them the illumination of awe. Like he, he puts in, there's like an awe to them. Uh, and and uh, these words are very hard to translate because they're kind of similar, but they're different. You know, uh, He gives them like this. It's also similar to awe. So maybe he gives them the light of majesty and he gives them the feeling of awe in the hearts of the people. And you see upon them the gravity that comes from intimacy with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Gravity is good. Waqar. That's, I always forget that. Waqar, gravity. Uh, so that if, person, if a person looks at one of them, they remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of what they see from the signs of al-malakut. This is the interesting part. Because of what they see from the signs of al-malakut. So the idea here is that the physical world that we embody, that we inhabit, and we normally see and interact with and stuff like this is called al-mulk. It's the physical realm. And al-malakut is like the spiritual realm. So the, <laughs> I don't even know how to begin to explain this, but the idea is that there's like things that are in the physical realm and they're kind of like manifestations of realities that are in the metaphysical realm. So what he's saying is that these people, because of their connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah gives them, you see upon them the effects of their connection to the spiritual realm. There's something different about them. 
to say any more would be useless. <laughs> you know, inshallah, one day we'll meet people like this and we'll see it and we'll understand. وَالْقَلْبُ مَعْدِنُ هَذِهِ الْأَشْيَاءُ وَمُسْتَقَرُّ النُّورُ يَشْرَبُ الْوَجْهُ مِنْ مَاءِ الْقَلْبِ فَإِذَا كَانَ عَلَى الْقَلْبِ نُورُ سُلْطَانٍ وَعْدٍ وَعِيدٍ أَدَّى إِلَى الْوَجْهِ ذَلِكَ النُّورُ فَإِذَا وَقَعَ بَصْرُكَ بَصْرُكَ عَلَيْهِ ذَكَرَكَ الْبِرَّ وَالتَّقْوَى وَوَقَعَ عَلَيْكَ مِنْهُ مَهَابَةُ الصَّلَاحِ وَالْعِلْمِ بِأَوَامِرِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى So he says in the heart is the repository of all of these things. So all of these things about you know, these beautiful qualities and characteristics and things that you see on these righteous people and so on and so forth. The heart is the repository of all of this. And so, and, and, and it is the resting place of the divine illumination, the nur. It's the resting place of the nur is in the heart. And the face drinks from the water of the heart. It's a beautiful expression, you know. Actually, when, when I read this initially, I wasn't really paying attention to who said it. I was just kind of reading, like preparing. And then I, I read like one sentence, I read two sentences, I read three sentences. And I was like, this is old. This is old. Like this is not, when you read modern authors, you don't usually get like this flavor. Kim al-Tirmidhi is very special. So he says, يَشْرَبُ الْوَجْهُ مِنْ مَاءِ الْقَلْبِ So the, the face drinks from the water of the heart. Drinks from the water of the heart. So if the heart has the light of the power of the promise and the threat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like a person is firmly rooted in understanding their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the heart will drink from that. And the face will take from what's on the heart. The, the heart. Then that, and then what's on the heart will go to the face. So when you then look at that person, it will remind you of birr and taqwa. Remind you of righteousness and, and taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because that was in the heart of the other person. And that person's face took from that person's heart. And then you looked at that person's face. So what came into your heart What was in that is what was in that person's heart. Ah, subhanAllah. You have to have like a little bit of taste. <laughs> you know, it has to be a little bit of flavor to it. I think you miss so much. And then uh, the, the gravity of, of righteousness and knowledge of the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will settle on you. You know? This is why one of the things you see from like great righteous people is you can sit with them and they don't really have to, we were talking about before about giving advice and stuff. They don't actually have to give you advice. Because you just sit with them and they're giving so much nasiha to themselves <laughs> that you do it to yourself. You walk away and you're like, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that, this thing I could do better, I need to fix this. <clears throat> I feel like we're, we're, I hope I'm not falling off the deep end right now. Inshallah, you guys are with me. <laughs> I'm just reading. Don't blame me. <laughs> it's fun. I, I think this is like, this is the juicy stuff. Uh, وَإِذَا كَانَ عَلَى الْقَلْبِ نُورُ سُلْطَانِ الْحَقِّ أَدَّى ذَانِكَ إِلَى الْوَجْهِ فَإِذَا وَقَعَ بَسُرُكَ عَلَيْهِ ذَكَرَ السِّدْقَ وَالْحَقِّ وَوَقَعَ عَلَيْكَ مِنْ مُحَابَةٌ حَقِّ وَالْإِسْتِقَامَةٌ So he's giving another example. So if this person now, you see someone else, they have um, like the light of the establishment on truth, then that will then show up on that person's face. So then when you see them, 
your heart is reminded of, of, of truth and honesty and integrity and all of these things because it was in their heart. وَإِذَا كَانَ عَلَى الْقَلْبِ نُورُ سُلْطَانِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَعَظَمَتِهِ وَجَلَالِهِ أَدَّى ذَلِكَ إِلَى الْوَجْهِ فَإِذَا وَقَعَ بَسُرُكَ عَلَيْهِ ذَكَرَكَ عَظَمَتُ اللَّهِ وَجَلَالِهُ وَسُلْطَانًا And if, the, if in the person's heart is just they're overwhelmed with the awe and the power and the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then when you look upon them, you'll feel that in your heart. So he's continuing the same idea. وَإِذَا كَانَ عَلَى الْقَلْبِ نُورُ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَهُوَ نُورُ الْأَنْوَارِ And if their heart is filled with the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it is the light of all lights, then it will be so splendid when you see it that like all negative things and all deficiencies will disappear in your eyes. Like you'll just be so overwhelmed with that light that all bad things will kind of just go away. You just, uh, and that's why you see sometimes like, we've talked before about Shaykh Ali Saleh, you know, Hafidhullah, that we would go to his house sometimes and he'd be in like a very, very dire situation, you know. His life is not very, many people saw that post, I put it in English. The one where he talked about his wife who was, she was blind. And Rahimahullah, a sheikha, he used to call her a sheikha. And he said, Sheikha tahfad al Quran or Zahr al Qalb. Sheikha tahfad al Quran or Zahr al Qalb. He would be so happy and like proud. The sheikha, she memorized the whole Quran. She memorized the whole Quran. She's blind. And he is mostly blind. And when he married her, she was blind. So they asked him, they're like, why did you, like, you have needs. You married someone who has even more needs than you, you know? Like, this is not the easiest situation. And he said, I married her because she is a righteous woman and she helped me in my worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he said, if she was still alive, I could have been from the great awliya. But since she passed away, my worship lessened. I'm not the same as I used to be. <laughs> so Sheikh Ali, you go to his house, his house is like nothing. It's a, like we, a couple people sit on the couch. He sits on the couch in front, and another person sits here, and there's no more room in the living room. Like, literally, there's no more room. That's the whole living room. And there's no kitchen. It's just a stove in the hallway on the way to the bathroom. Right? And everything that comes out of Sheikh Ali's mouth is nur. It's just light and joy and happiness. And, like, people would call. We would think, like, it's strangers calling, you know? Because someone would call you, answer the phone. Like, Aywa. وعليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته. The whole conversation is like dua and it's so beautiful and all these things. And then you hang up the phone and be like, Libinti. <laughs> you be like, This is my daughter. She just called. It's so beautiful, you know? Everything that comes out. How are you? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Fadlullah. We're living in so much fadl. We're living in so much. Because what? His heart is like everything around. We used to walk to his. After Eid al Adha, one time we walked to his house, it was like almost unbearable. Because it's a very poor area, all of the animals that are slaughtered, then they take the skins and they just leave them and stack them in the neighborhood. And it kind of stinks, you know, like skins and skins of skins of animals. It's like unbearable almost. And there's blood everywhere and like all these things. You go to Sheikh Ali's house, it's just like as if nothing's happening. You know, it's just Allah. It's only Allah. All Because there's so much light in his heart, all of those things, they just they go. He's living in a different, not a different reality. Uh, but a different reality. Uh, 
فشأن قلب أنه يسقي عروق وجهه ويشربه من ماء الحياة الذي يرطب به ويتأدى إلى الوجه من القلب ما فيه لا غير ذلك فكل نور من هذه الأنوار كان في قلب شرب وجهه منه قال الله تعالى ولقاهم نضرة وسرورا أي سرورا في القلب ونضرة في الوجه So he says, so the reality of the heart is that it irrigates the vessels of the face. And it gives it the water of life that it has given the moisture to. Or, I mean, this is not, this is a rough translation. You know, basically the heart is giving life to the face. So that, uh, so what's in the heart goes to the face, not the other way around. So every light, every nur that you see from the lights, every nur that you see from the lights, it was in a heart. And the face drank from that heart. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَقَاهُمْ نَضْرَةً وَسُرُورًا And He basically caused them to meet a nadra and a surur. And He says, this means surur means a happiness that's in the heart. And the nadra means an illumination that's in the face. فَإِذَا سُرَّ الْقَلْبُ بِرُضَى اللَّهِ تَعَالَىٰ عَنَ الْعَبْدِ وَبِمَا يُشْرِقُ فِيهِ مِنْ نُورٍ نَضْرَتْ أَنْ وُجُوهُ بِمَا وَلَجَنْ قُلُوبٍ وَهُوَ الَّذِي دَلَّ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ عَلَىٰ ذِكْرِ عَلَىٰ ذِكْرِ لِلَّهِ عَنْدَ رُؤْيَتِهِ وَصَيَّرَهُ if the heart becomes gladdened by the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the contentment with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his servant, then it will be illuminated because of what came into the hearts. And the Prophet is referring to this when he talks about uh, what we talked about. Mashi. Sheikh Abdul Fatah says, وَقَدْ كَانَ هَذَا النَّوْعُ الْكَرِيمُ فِي السَّنَفِ مُنْتَشِرًا وَكَثِيرًا وَكَانَ النَّاسُ يَقْصِدُونَ لِقَاءَهُ لِلْإِنْتِفَاعِ بِالنَّظْرِ إِلَيْهِ إذ كانت رؤيته وحدها تنير القلب وتحرك الصلاح في النفس وتحب وتحبب بالدين وتذكر بالله. سبحان الله. We didn't even get to the part yet. Sorry. This is all intro. Sheikh Abdul Fatah says this reality was very common in the Salaf. In the early generations of the Muslims, it was very common, and they understood that it existed, and they sought out people like that so that they could benefit from seeing them, because just seeing them would bring light to their heart. And it would encourage them towards righteousness within themselves and make them love the religion more and remind them of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they would seek them. Uh, so here's some examples. This is before even Shaykh Abdul Fatah didn't even start yet in his 11. Ibn Jawzi says, and we've talked about this before. قَدْ كَانَ جَمَاعَةٌ مِنَ السَّلَفِ يَقْسِلُونَ الْعَبْدَ الصَّالِحِ لِنَظْرِ إِلَى سَمْتِهِ وَهَدْيِهِ لَا لِقْتِبَاسِ عِلْمِهِ وَذَٰلِكَ أَنَّ ثَمَرَةَ عِلْمِهِ هَدْيُهُ وَسَمْتُهُ Ibn Jawzi, he said, there was people from the early generations, they would seek a righteous person so that they could look at them and benefit from the way that they are. Basically, this means from the way that they are. Not so that they could benefit from their knowledge. Uh, ostensibly. And that is because the fruit of the knowledge is in how they are. You get it? The fruit of the knowledge is in how they are. So they're going to them 
But their main objective is not actually the knowledge. Their main objective is how do I become like this person? How do I see what I'm supposed to be like? Okay? SubhanAllah. It said about... Uh, and Abu Talib in Mecca said in Qut al-Qulub, which is one of the early books on spirituality, it says, وَقَدْ كَانُوا يَقْسِدُونَ الْأَمْصَارَ لِلْلِقَاءِ الْعُلَمَاءِ وَالصَّانِعِينَ لِلنَّظْرِ إِلَيْهِمْ وَلِلْتَبَرِّكِ وَالتَّأَدُّبِ بِهِمْ so he says that they would seek, they would travel to different places so that they can meet these scholars and these righteous people. They're not necessarily the same, by the way. Right? Like you could have a scholar who's not in this category. You could have a righteous person who's not a scholar, but still you benefit from them in this way. You sit in their company, you benefit. And many of the elders in our community are like this. They're people that are dedicated to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, so he said they would seek these, seek these people and hope to look for them and to see them so that they could gain blessing from that and they could have good manners with them. Because they know, like, if I find this righteous person and Allah loves this person and I can have good manners with this person, inshallah is going to make Allah very happy. You know? So they would, they would intentionally do this. Very interesting, right? This is Ibn Jawzi. Uh, Ibn Jawzi, and that was Abu Talib in Mecca. Sorry, the one before that was Ibn Jawzi. It's mentioned by Ibn Jawzi about Imam Ahmed. Okay? That it was said about Imam Ahmed, I believe that Hassan bin Ismail was one of his students. But anyways, he said, uh, or his, his, the son of one of his students. He said, I heard my father say, كَانَ يَجْتَمِعُ فِي مَجْلِسِ أَحْمَدِ بِنْ حَمْبَلْ زُهَاءٌ عَلَى خَمْسَةِ آلَافِ أَوْ يَزِيدُونَ أَقَلُّ مِنْ خَمْسِ مِئَةٍ يَكْتُبُونَ وَالْبَاقُونَ يَتَعَلَّمُونَ مِنْهُ حُسْنَ الْأَدْبِ وَحُسْنَ السَّبْتِ He says, in the time of Imam Ahmed Something like 5,000 or more people would be in the gathering of Imam Ahmed. 5,000 or more people would be in the gathering of Imam Ahmed. 500 of them would be writing hadith. So Ahmed sits to narrate hadith, right? That's, that's what he does. <laughs> he sits to narrate hadith. You know, Ahmed's the, the Musnad of Imam Ahmed has 30,000 hadith in it. Okay, so he was serious about hadith. The Imam Ahmed's gathering would have 5,000 people in it. 500 of them will be writing hadith. Everyone else, they're just watching him to see what they can learn from the way that he is, from his good character and his good comportment. Uh, someone else said, اِخْتَلَفْتُ إِلَىٰ أَبِي عَبْدِ أَحْمَدِ بِنْ حَمْبَلِ He said, I went to the gathering of Imam Ahmed for 12 years. And he was reading in Musnad, his collection on hadith, ala uladihi, to his children. They're, they're some of the prime, primary narrators of the madhab of Ahmed are his, his, his sons, uh, Salih and Abdullah. So he says he's reading, uh, uh, this man says, I went to his gathering for 12 years and he was reading the Musnad to his sons. <laughs> yeah. People don't like it anymore, they get angry. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people about it. I was like this too. People get really angry. It takes too long. Why are they spending so long? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? This is, you know, knowledge shouldn't take this long to do it. So on and so forth. We need to finish things. We need to do this. They get upset, you know. I get it. You know. One sheikh, I know he's, he's on lesson number 73 in his class on a, basic, on a primer in, in fiqh. And they're only in fasting. He's on lesson 73. You know, I get it. It takes a little bit of time. It's been three years. They're still in fasting. You get frustrated. I understand. But like, you know, there's something to that. Uh, as we always say, right? There's a difference between when you just throw some spices on top of the thing and when you marinate it and you let it sit. 
they're not the same. Right? They're just not the same. So when you give it some time, you let it develop, you let it do its thing, then it uh, comes out different. So as I sat with him for 12 years, he's reading to his sons this book. He says, فَمَا كَتَبْتُ مِنْهُ حَدِيثًا وَاحِدًا This person who's narrating, he says, I sat with him for 12 years while he's narrating this book to his sons, a hadith book. He's like, and I didn't write a single hadith. I didn't write a single hadith. إِنَّمَا كُنْتُ أَنْذُرُ إِلَىٰ هَدْيِهِ وَأَخْلَاقِهِ وَأَدَابِهِ I was just watching how he carried himself and his character and his manners. That's all I was doing. 12 years. That's amazing. Oh, amazing. That's the salaf. The salaf, you know, that's the salaf. You want to talk about the salaf? You want to have opinions the way the salaf had opinions? Go sit with Imam Ahmed for 12 years. Don't write a single hadith. Just watch him. Then you can understand. Now Shaykh Abdul Fatah says, and now I'm going to give you 11 examples of people like this all throughout history. So now we got to it. Okay. What's our situation? Where's Mark? Is Mark in here? He's cooking. Where? From the back. What's our? What should I do? Should I stop? Should I go? Should I? Yeah. Sorry. I don't want to like. If he's. If he, Any questions or comments or anything while Ayan does reconnaissance? Yes, come on. I recently heard that each of us is a temporary responsible for a clock. How do you, if someone comes to you asking advice for a specific situation, how do you make sure that you're not a narcissistic moron that has the audacity to give them advice while trying to do what these people did, which is not give advice. Yeah. So everyone is a shepherd and they're responsible for their flock. And people come to you, someone might come to you and they might ask you for advice. So how do you not be a narcissistic moron? <laughs> in, the, in giving advice uh, when these people often come so the reality is that they would give advice right um, and I know like people who I would consider them to be very righteous people who normally are not like freely offering advice all the time but if they need to give advice they're going to give it so the issue becomes like, is this something that I need to say or not? And if it is, then I just need to consider whether or not I'm adequately founded in what I'm saying. And then be sincere and not judgmental and all these other things and share. It's okay. You know? Sometimes we have to give advice to people. And we need advice from each other. Alright? We do need advice from each other. And we need... Uh, <coughs> We do need that. And sometimes we need to say something. Sometimes we need to tell someone something. Sometimes, And we all benefit from that. But the problem is like people who, like you said, they're just going around and like, they've got advice for everyone, mashallah. But they themselves, they don't take any advice. <laughs> That's a problem. 
But we do benefit from advice. And when it's shared with, with adab and it's shared with love and all of these things, it's a good thing, alhamdulillah. And it helps us to be more well-rounded. It helps us to be... Everyone has blind spots. So that's how we... Um, that's how we grow as a community and as people. So it shouldn't be taken to extreme. Actually, one of the brothers I was talking to about this one time, he said, actually, he's like, you know, Sheikh so so he will give us advice. But he'll usually do it in private. He'll do it in a way that doesn't embarrass anyone. He'll do it in a way that is not like, you know that he's being sincere with you. There's nothing personal about it. He's just giving you advice. So our, you know, we want to try to have that inside of ourselves. Yeah, we give it to us. Alhamdulillah. It's okay. Yes. Um, how do we stop ourselves from Question. So, how do we not become overly reliant on these righteous people such that we only feel good and so on and so forth when we're in their company, but then when we're by ourselves reading Quran, praying, stuff like this, we don't have the same thing? So, if you think about what Hakim al Tirmidhi was saying about the heart. So what is the benefit of the righteous person? The benefit of the righteous person is that they have these things in their heart and it shows up on their face and then when we're with them, we see it on their face and it goes into our heart. What is the ultimate thing that's happening? What is ultimately what's happening here? Is there kind of like a bridge? Or maybe you could say like a conductor. You know, like there's a jolt of electricity and then there's the metal that conducts it and then it reaches somewhere else. So they're like the conductor that's meant to get you to Allah, right? It's not meant to get you to them, right? So the, the purpose of these people is that they point us to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and so we enjoy their company and we like to be in their company, but ultimately our goal of doing all of that is so that we can do what they do. And... Uh, in the sense that to be sincere and to be honest with our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if we're trying to do that, then what will happen over time is that uh, our battery will begin to charge up. So that we ourselves will have a little bit of that uh, uh, electricity. And then when we pray, we'll have that. And, when we make the, and, and it will increase over time. So that's, that's what they do, subhanAllah. When you read history and you really think about it, and you start to see how like, different things go back to certain people, of course, all of it goes back to the Prophet them, right? But you think like, how powerful was, what the, how powerful was the nur that the Prophet them had, that it spread into all these places, you know? And it spread into all these people for all of this time. It's incredible. So the Prophet them was very special in that way. But they have from his light. You know, there's a narration about when the companions were walking at nighttime with the Prophet them, and they didn't have any light, but it was lit. Have you seen this narration? I don't have the details of it, but it's mentioned by a lot of scholars. But they were walking with the Prophet them, and it was nighttime, and there was illumination, so they could see their way. And as each, of, each one of them broke off to finish their route, they still had light. The next one breaks off, they still have light. So, 
all of them are taking light, but the Prophet's light doesn't diminish. So it's not like a, it's like when you do something good and someone else sees it and they do that thing, then you both get reward and neither of you gets any decrease. It's like this, you know. It's not like these righteous people, it's not like we take from them and then they deplete or something. We just take from them and we increase. And then our relationship with Allah changes. And then we, and then people deal with, I shouldn't say, and then you, your relationship with Allah changes. And then people deal with you and they get increased. And then their relationship with Allah changes. You know? So, but it's very, very important. In the end, it's not actually about those people. It's about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because we go all the way back to the very beginning when I was saying that sometimes you might make mistakes. You might, it might be that we think someone's a righteous person and they turn out not to be. But Allah is Allah. Yeah. Allah is Allah. That if you obey Allah and the Prophet them, nothing will be lost from your deeds. So you might think, like Salman al-Farisi radiallahu anhu, right? He had a true shaykh, essentially. And then his shaykh died, he went to another one, he was a false shaykh. He, he made the best out of the situation, he left, found, it, found a true shaykh. He died, he went, eventually he found the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, right? But, so we have to, the, the ultimate goal has to be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then if there's mistakes along the way, there's mistakes along the way. But we know that whatever we intended with good intention and proper action, we don't lose that with Allah. We don't lose that with Allah. It remains. And then it will help us as we continue our journey, inshaAllah. Type, I think I've said way too much for the day. Like go crawl into a cave or something. But at the same time, Maghrib is in 16 minutes. So, Marcus, you need help. You have people. Okay. What should we do? Yeah. Hold on. Okay. Thank you. I'm just worried about Maghrib, that's all. The Maghrib is going to come. We're going to have to sort that out. Inshallah. Yes, sure. Let's use the British expression. We have to sort it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Making effort to maintain sort of your yeah. Allah first dynamic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because we're in dunya in the end. So the question is like, we're talking about being around these righteous people who fill your cup up. But a lot of us spend a lot of time in work environments in different places where that's not what we're around. And it's very depleting. And we're struggling to maintain the basic minimums of like 
our thing. <laughs> and uh, like, do you have any advice? Is that the question? So I think one of the challenges of, 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 of this question to me is that the reality is that I spend a lot of my time around really good people. Alhamdulillah. Like, you know, I'm not actually in the same environments all the time that a lot of you all are in. You know, so it's a little bit kind of like maybe I'm not the best person to say anything, you know? Um I will say that definitely when we lived in Cairo, this was a big struggle. You know, like, that was a situation where you cannot escape reality. You know, I'm not like sitting in my home answering questions that people ask or going to the masjid and giving a talk. And like, that's a very alternative existence. But when we lived in Cairo, it's like, you really got to go out and fight with taxi drivers and argue about situations and so on and so forth. It was really tough. And usually we just failed. You know, so I think um, I think that recognizing that is a good starting point, and I think that you we have um, we can remind ourselves. Uh, I like to I like to think about it this way that. We keep two. We keep two. We keep two kinds of sahaba. Okay, so we keep two kinds of company. One of them is external, and one of them is internal. So, at some level, we have to learn how to appropriately divest ourselves from what's around us. You don't want to completely divest because, like, these are human beings. We want to help them. We want to be a good influence on them too, and so on and so forth. But I want to be detached from them enough that they don't become the dominant suhbah of my heart. I want the dominant suhbah of my heart to still be these righteous people. One of the things that I try to do for that is that I put them on my phone, screensaver, you know? So like every time I open my phone I have to look at it No matter how I feel about it you know. So there's Sheikh Rayyan on my phone yeah. You can't look at Sheikh Rayyan And like just everything else goes away Rahimahullah <laughs> So, you know, and, and I think we had this earlier in the book where it came this idea of like, we know we have a situation and a tangent, a short one, inshallah. I found like a lot of students, students of knowledge, they're obsessed with curriculums. You know, which book do you study first and which book do you study after that? People are memorizing Quran, they're obsessed with like what's the best way to memorize the Quran? And the best way to memorize the Quran. Figure out the best way to memorize the Quran for yourself. <laughs> some people do a page at once, some people do a line at once, some people do this, some people do that. You have to figure out your own rhythm for Quran and how you're gonna memorize it. 
Sure, someone could tell you, you could follow it, that's great. But in the end, you're going to have to figure it out. And in the, the early part of this book, we had this example of someone who, like, he was trying to fix something. So he said, every time I do this thing, I'm going to fast. And then fasting just became easy for him. He didn't fix the situation. So he was like, now I'm going to start giving charity every time I do this thing. And when he started giving charity for every time he did it, then he fixed the issue. Right? So I put a screensaver on my phone. But each of us will have to... There's a benefit in like experiment. Okay, I know I have this challenge. How is it that I can maintain my grounding in goodness and righteousness and so on and so forth and be reminded of that despite everything that I'm going through? And we're going to try different things. Okay, I'm going to try this. It might work. I'll try this. Maybe it didn't work, so on and so forth. I've seen people do different things. Some people just don't talk. <laughs> Some people have things on their phone. Some people hold different beats. Some people do this. Some people do that. Some people put something on their hand so it reminds them whenever they see it. Like, okay, no, pay attention to what you're doing. People do different things. But it's going to be hard. But in the end, the, the, the bigger issue is who's in our heart. The bigger issue is who's in our heart. So the problem with being around all the, uh, these challenging situations is if those things start to dominate our heart. We can be in those things, but something else still dominates our heart. The prophets, that's why dhikr is so big, by the way. You know, I make a lot of dhikr. Then Allah is in your heart. You make a lot of salawat. The prophet is in your heart. So it overcomes those other things. So that's the most I can say about it. Probably. It's a good dinner conversation. You want to remember Shireen, you go give her your advice, inshallah. Talk about it. Have it share, share your experiences, inshallah. It's a good dinner conversation. It looks like we're praying Maghrib first. Uh, anyone have anything else? Yes, no? Maybe so? Was that a, was that a thumbs up? Okay. But should we start? We should, because there's food. So we start with the food. Bismillah. Subhanahu wa bihamdik. Tashadu wa nana astaghfirullah. Tashadu wa nana astaghfirullah. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Inna al-ladhina amilu amilu salihat wa ta'asum bihaqli wa ta'asum bihaqli Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Allah forgive us. Allah accept from us. Allah guide us. Allah give us good company. Allahumma give us good company, ya Rabbi. Allah give us good company in this life and the next, ya Rabbi. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa sallam wa Alhamdulillah. Get some food, inshallah we'll pray. We'll wait a little bit, but then we'll pray, inshallah. Hopefully we have enough time to eat a little bit. Auntie Cheryl's first. And then Maha. I want to see what they're making. Yeah, always, when you come to the food line, you have to have board of al You have to have vision. Now you look ahead. Don't take everything on the first tray because you don't know what's in the third tray. لا أول لا أول بيت ودي على الناس لا 